Welcome to Spirit School. I'm your mentor, Danielle Serenk, also known as the Squamish Medium. In this podcast, I share honestly all I have learned about the mediumship and spiritual development journey. My intention is to normalize these conversations, to make way for a more confident, clear, and connected wave of lightworkers, serving the world of spirit with an open and joyful soul. Welcome again to Spirit School. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Spirit School. I am so excited to be here with another episode for you, and this one on the topic of grief. Now, I will be sharing a little bit of knowledge around grief, but I want you to know that I did a prior episode, and it's also available on YouTube with slides and everything like that. After I completed my death doula certification program, I shared about all I had learned about grief in that episode. And so I'm going to save that episode. You have to go back quite a bit. I'll try to find it in the show notes, um, let you know what episode it is, but you would probably be going back to early 2021. Um, potentially late 2021. So I will make a note of the episode in the show notes if I'm able to find it um, with ease, but on YouTube, I hardly have anything on there. <laughs> so it's it's a much easier to find. But I did a real deep dive into grief and I'm pretty sure I recorded it even before I experienced my first bout of like deep, deep grief. And the reason why I wanted to present this episode in the way that I'm presenting it, which is a collaborative effort, a collaborative podcast episode between me and what I recently experienced being on the space holding side of grief to including from the spirit school community, different perspectives on what actually helped them as they were experiencing deep states of grief. And so there'll be some audio clips as we go through this episode from some incredible people who contributed to this conversation. And I will also be reading a few posts that were made when I posed the question in the Spirit School community, which if you're interested in joining us in conversations like this, please click the link in the show notes, free Spirit School community. It's 100% free. It's off social media. Um, it's, it's a great place to be. And if you want to participate in episodes like this, it's a great place to come hang out. But I posed a question, and this was about six weeks ago, so thank you for your patience while I put this together. Um, But I posed the question, when you were experiencing grief, what was helpful? What was helpful for you? And so that's what we're talking about today, because what I wanted was an episode that I could have in the Spirit School Library where I can point people to when they are possibly feeling lost and how to support somebody that they care about who is experiencing deep grief. So I'm hoping that this episode will give you so many ideas and inspirations on different things that you may want to add to your arsenal when you are, you know, working with somebody or supporting someone, whether it's a friend or a loved one or client when it comes to them experiencing grief. So I hope that this will be a very valuable episode for you. So first I'm going to share a little bit about my personal experience with grief and the things that I found helpful and then I'm going to share with you just a little bit of an experience that sparked the whole topic of this conversation. So after I recorded the more, I don't want to say academic, but more knowledge sharing episode on grief, what it is, the different types of grief, which I'll cover here in a second as well quickly. 
I experienced my first bout of grief and that was from the loss of my pet my beloved pet my cat bender who was the first love of my life and you know when I first got him I realized I'd never loved before truly he had seen me through two kids two breakups three homes um a career shifts two career shifts I mean there's nothing that this kitty cat did not comfort me through and he was sick for a long time so I experienced about a year of anticipatory grief so some people who may have people who pass of an illness and it takes some time to pass will experience what's called anticipatory grief which can sometimes make us feel like we grieve before we actually lose the person or the being that we are anticipating that grief for so we almost like like it's like a runway of grief that leads up to the actual event and then what happens is on the other side of that experience you realize you are just touching the skirts of grief and though it is grief and though the physical signs are very similar um from what i experience it doesn't compare to the actual loss of the event so for some of us we have that anticipatory grief phase and then we have the loss and then we enter a deeper state of grief which you know it does definitely run on a spectrum and what you find when you lose a pet is that you also enter the world of disenfranchised grief disenfranchised grief is simply a type of grief that is not commonly seen or understood by greater society it's not valued by society so as I was recovering from the loss of losing my great love my first great love, I would be having my grief experience only to be met with comments in the outer world like, oh, it's just a cat. Oh, I thought you like you lost someone like important. Um, And I would constantly be excusing myself for having the level of grief I was experiencing because it was just a cat. And it felt lonely. It felt lonelier than lonely. And this is a perfect time to introduce um, Ren's contribution to this podcast episode where she talks about the loss of her pet and what helped her through her grief when it comes to um, the loss of a pet. So I'll add that in here now. I think one of the biggest things that was given to me when I was grieving the loss of my soul dog was actually a keychain with his photo on it. And then somebody just in that message saying, I know I don't understand the loss. Um, You know, there are no words. I think knowing that there are people there that are going to hold space for you just to sit with you uh, in your grief without needing to not necessarily comfort you, but to sit there and just be with you, you know, and knowing that maybe they understand or they don't understand and just letting you tell stories. That was really the most helpful to me and then it's been three years since I lost my soul dog and people will still send me videos or tell me when they're thinking of him or that he popped in and he actually is a guide for me so when he shows up to people and they tell me I know that he's trying to get the message to me and that you know that he's there and he's thinking of me or you know that he's with me so but really I don't know why that keychain just meant a lot for me because it was something I could keep with me that was small uh, and kind of just showed like that that person understood 
Thank you, Ren, for sharing that with us. And I too remember when I had lost Bender, which synchronistically listening to your message was a month ago, three years um, on September 4th and recording this on October 4th, 2023. And I lost Bender on September 4th, 2020. And I was gifted from Emily Barnard of um, the Things That Make You Go Woo podcast, um, a beautiful plaque with a black kitty on it that said Bender on it. it was a little rock and things like that really did help bring comfort and help bring some understanding when the society around me was not compassionate towards my loss they just didn't understand it and you can't have compassion for what you lack understanding of I guess and so I agree that for my experience as well that um, getting a little keepsake or a memento that I still have and I still have an altar and I have ashes in my closet and I have that little rock and you know I had his little paws um, put into um, clay so I have like a little print of his claws and things like that do definitely help it did take me a while after the passing to look at them because it was just too activating for me And what I experienced after Bender's loss was I just wanted to be alone. And this was actually really interesting for my my family. And, you know, my husband was really supportive of my approach to this because it was not the same loss for him. I've had, I had my kitty cat way longer than I had him. It was not the same loss for my kids. I don't think my kids actually noticed my cat was gone for a couple days. I think my son was like three and he was like, where's your cat? <laughs> and I would just laugh. I'm like, yeah, it's been three days and I've been crying mess and see, I'm going to cry now. I've, I've talked about this many times on the podcast, but I just wanted to be alone. I just wanted to be alone And I just wanted to clean and keep busy. I was a bit of an avoider when it came to my grief. It was so much emotion to sit with that I'm not sure if anyone else resonates with this, but I just wanted to keep really, really, really busy. And so I think people who know me personally know busy is my MO and I just exercise. I clean. I washed every blind in the house. Like I clean that house top to bottom. Interesting enough, I just cleaned and I don't like cleaning typically. Another really incredible thing that people did for me when I was in my deep state of grief because I actually couldn't do readings for five months. It took me five months to be able to get enough energy and hold enough energy to read for others. It was so interesting. And I remember three weeks after Bender passed, I tried to do a reading that was like a gift certificate reading for somebody on my street. And I did the best I could. And I felt like I brought through really great information, but their feedback to me was very, very critical. And I was crushed and it destroyed me because I was already down. And, you know, I think you could tell through the podcast that has been going on for five years now, that confidence and self-worth on this path have been my biggest paths to walk. And so already when I was in my most vulnerable that I've ever been, I received some harsh criticism that I also felt was unjust and, um, you know, just difference of opinions, but it actually made it so I didn't read for anyone for five more months. And that's actually how I met Dominic was I reached out to Dominic because I could just tell he was like really compassionate. And as far as any mediums I've ever worked with or known he's by far the most compassionate and most supportive mentor I've ever personally had and 
he really spent a whole year with me teaching me how to read through the energy of grief because grief isn't something that goes away, but grief is something that you make space for. And you have to make space for more joy, more happiness, more purpose, even in grief that is all consuming. It's just making space for it. So he really did help me teach me how to make space for helping others again. And after a five month hiatus from doing readings, I was able to step back into it. And um, yeah, that was the impact of, of me and my grief. But one of the things when I was taking time off and I had just launched my membership too. keep in mind the spirit school collective. I mean, I had literally launched it like three weeks before Pender died. And then that first month I had to take a couple classes off. I was just so devastated. And I had 25 people cancel their membership and I was so devastated. I was like, oh my God, I need to be on. I can't take time off. Like those entrepreneurial stresses also came up. I had just made a go of going full time in my mediumship career. And then all of a sudden I can't do readings. I can't teach. I can't earn. I had half the people leave my membership that first month because I just wasn't there. And, um, you know, funny enough, this was one of the first times I also realized I was really supported by the spirit world because even though that all went down, my earnings were still the same. I don't know how. And I remember for a whole year after trying to grow math the heck out of that. And I'm sitting there like, how did that happen? Like, how did I essentially take a whole month off? And I still had enough to like run my business and pay my mortgage. Like it just blew me away. And, and so many times since that experience, I have felt supported by the spirit world in my spirit work. And, you know, I still stress, I still worry. I never have like a huge cushion or anything like that to cruise, but I always feel so supported. And another thing that made me feel really supported was my team. And my team was so considerate to put together a Spotify playlist for me while I was experiencing my grief that was a group contribution from the membership that put together this beautiful Spotify playlist for me. And though I didn't really have the attention span to listen to music, I knew that everyone was doing the absolute best they could to support me in my grief. So that was really helpful as well. Um, That's what I remember of going through grief. Now, I'm not someone who has like a whole lot of friends, you know, I have a lot of acquaintances. Um, My life, my career, my family life really does take a lot of priority. So it's not like I have like a really close group of people that I hang out with regularly or I talk to regularly. So I didn't really have that to lean on. And I also didn't have, um, you know, my family didn't really understand. My dad did for sure. My dad is a professional dog walker by trade. He's so understanding of grief, of compassion. Um, so he was really my my go-to person as I was like experiencing grief. But he was also experiencing grief because he feels for the world even more than I do. He's definitely more sensitive than me. And so he was really the one who was helping me through a lot of that. But I just felt so touched that people cared enough to even just like acknowledge it and to do whatever they could to support it. And I I recognized it. I saw it. I felt it. I appreciated it. And again, going back to Emily Barnard here, you know, I remember a couple months later talking to her and just saying, you know, thank you for this. And I really appreciate it. It meant so much to me. And I would start crying and I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's just a cat. And she actually was the one who said... Stop saying it was just a cat. Stop saying it. It was more than just a cat. So 
you know, it was really helpful to have somebody kind of echo that back to me too, to make my experience more valid. And that's essentially what that disenfranchised grief is. Another thing that would follow under disenfranchised grief is, you know, a divorce, the breakup of a marriage, of a family, of a home. Um, you can experience deep seas of grief. I remember quitting my job when I worked in the race car industry and when you work for a race car team, like you're a team, you're a family. I have never worked anywhere. I've worked in the music industry, the health industry, um, obviously mediumship. I have never experienced that. Maybe football teams are like this, baseball teams, hockey teams. I don't know. But on a race car team, like you are family. And I remember telling my boss, who was the driver of Subaru Rally Team Canada at the time, and I remember saying, I'm leaving. And wow, when I had grief with Bender, I realized that I actually did experience grief before and it was when I quit my job in the race car industry. Um, and I remember experiencing that grief and, and that sorrow. And so I know that you can also experience grief, which we've called disenfranchised grief from um, the loss of a job as well. So there are so many different ways that grief can come up. So I want to share different types of grief. So these are just kind of bulleted from what I have from my notes. Again, if you want more on this area of this topic, please go check out the past episode, go check out the YouTube. I have slides. It's a free workshop. Um, I'm really proud of it enough to continue to talk about it. So hopefully it's something that someone finds helpful. I also highly encourage death doula training. Even if you don't intend on doing death doula as a profession, it's quite affordable. It's a five-day um, workshop, which apparently for birth doula, you need a two-day workshop, but for death doula, you need five days. Um, I was kind of blown away to hear that. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I heard in British Columbia. But that course, Douglas College is what I did in Canada to be recognized in the hospital system as a death doula, a certified death doula. And I learned so much about grief and holding space for grief. It was the best thing I personally took when it comes to understanding it. So that's what that class is more or less about. And I highly recommend it if you're somebody who wants to learn more about this or, um, yeah. Okay. So different types of grief, there's normal grief, which is, you know, a typical response for loss, which is not very typical, is it? Um, though the funny thing is, is grief is something that really does touch us all. Grief escapes no human. And that is something that really does connect us all and, and reminds us of our sameness, even though society has us trying to be so different and hierarchical and better than. When it comes down to the raw human experience, we are so similar. It's not even funny. So grief is something that will touch each and every one of us, which is also why I'm so passionate about mediumship because mediumship is a modality that could literally help every human on this planet. Not like it, it will, not like everyone will experience it, but the connection of love, of connecting with a loved one in the spirit realm for those living, that can support any human having a human experience. And that's what I love about mediumship. It's something that everyone can benefit from. Okay, another type of grief is complicated grief. So it's prolonged, it's intense, it's unresolved. Um, I see this come up in certain sessions where, you know, there may have been a disagreement a year before the passing that never got resolved. And then this person passed and now the person left behind goes through the rest of their experience with this like complicated grief because they're still angry and they still want resolution and they know that they won't get the resolution in the flesh. Um, 
So this can be quite complicated, right? Anticipatory grief, which I already discussed. That's what I experience. That's what people who are losing someone to an illness may experience. Um, Grieving in advance of an unexpected or grieving in advance of an expected loss. I'm not editing this episode. So you're getting it straight through. Because if I go to edit, honestly, you guys will be waiting another month. Um, I don't have anyone uh, podcast editing anymore. So it's me. It's a one woman show here. So we're just doing the best we can. Okay. Disenfranchised grief, which I've already talked about as well, which is when the loss isn't openly acknowledged or validated. Ambiguous loss, uncertainty or lack of clarity about the loss. This might be um, Little Grievers, which I'm going to just pop in an audio here that really did talk about little grievers, young grievers, grievers who may not comprehend or understand what just happened or the impact of what just happened. And so this is a great opportunity to bring in an audio message from, from Maria who sent in a voice note to give her perspective on grief and she mentions about little grievers. So I'm going to add that in here now. Hi. I'd like to make an offering of what I used to feel as a child was a way to deal with grief or see death. And it's because my mom had lost her mom before I was ever born. And I used to feel for her around that or imagine how hard that was, even as a young child. And I used to imagine and share that we should think of grief as... um, someone we love going on a trip far away sort of to the other side of the world or just somewhere that um, we can't get to but they're on this vacation this trip that is just the time of their life and that we can feel good knowing that they're in a really happy awesome place and that uh, sometime we'll see them again when it's our time to um, meet up with them and that used to give me a lot of comfort uh And I don't remember ever making it up. I just remember feeling this knowing that that um, was how we could experience or uh, help each other through grief. And sometimes I try and adopt that to my current life or current situations. But that certainly I thought was interesting. As a child, I really just felt um, convicted that that could help uh, ease that pain. Thank you. Thank you, Maria, for bringing that into the space. And there are so many great books out there now around um, grief and how to talk to children about grief and little grievers. And so there's a lot of material out there now if this is something that you're experiencing. Thank you, Maria, for bringing that in. Um, Another type of grief is collective grief. So shared experience grief by community or group. The best example that's coming to my head right now is like around 9-11. You know, I remember where I was. I think a lot of people remember where they were. And I lived right by the airport. So I got to see the immediate impacts of society in North America on that day. And I remember the aftermath of that and just the collective grief even us in Canada felt. Um, it was just something that touched all of us in North America. I don't think that you could escape that collective grief. And yeah, it's, it's powerful. Um, chronic grief, long lasting grief, persistent grief, and masked grief, grief expressed through other emotions or behaviors. Um, okay. So the different stages of grief, 
So there's denial, which is initial shock and disbelief. There's anger, which is frustration, irritation, and resentment. There's bargaining, which is seeking ways to reverse or change the situation. Depression, overwhelming sadness and hopelessness. And acceptance, coming to terms with the loss and finding a way to move forward. And we know that through these stages of grief, they're nonlinear and they will zig and zag and they are constantly dancing between the different stages of grief. It's nonlinear. And even if you do come to a point of acceptance, grief is sneaky. It is tricky and it likely will come up again in some way, shape or form. So just being patient with yourself. If you're experiencing some of that, you know, chronic grief, um, that long-term grief, it's okay. There is no right way to grieve. There is no right way. There is no formula. There is no one, two, three step process. It's a very intimate and personal experience. So if you need to hear it from me, you know, that, you did the best you could and you did exactly what needed to be done, then I hope that you hear that with full truth. I wanted to include at this point a wonderful voice message from Sarah who has experienced a lot of grief. I've read for her before. I know her quite well. And she brought in some amazing wisdom about the brain and the reaction of the brain when it comes to grief. So I'm going to pop that in here too. So when it comes to grieving, I think it's really important to note that the part of our brain that processes information and speech, our prefrontal cortex, goes offline when we're grieving. Instead, our amygdala takes over, which is where our emotional memories are stored, where deep in our feels when we're grieving. And so when someone is grieving, they're not going to be able to process someone asking them, what do you need? They, they can't answer that. Instead, you need to think of the two things that our bodies need to survive, which is basically sleep and food. You can't control how much someone is sleeping, but you can provide them food. You, you know, want to make sure you know their food preferences and any dietary restrictions they have, and you can provide them actual food. You can provide them gift cards. You can set up a meal train, but I think it's really important to note that words to someone who is deep in grief just aren't going to land because they're not going to be able to process them and often they will feel like a burden because that person doesn't have the mental capacity to process those words efficiently and so doing practical physical things and in my opinion is much more helpful than words when someone is grieving Thank you, Sarah. That was so helpful and such a valuable contribution to the conversation. And thank you for your wisdom there, your education there. Um, very appreciative of it. And this really does echo a lot of the written comments that came up on this thread too, is that some of the most helpful things that people experienced when they were going through grief was like meal trains and providing frozen meals so that they had one less thing on their plate that they could do. They could just have um, food. And it's also really important what Sarah said around the amygdala and, you know, the reaction of the brain has on that level of stress. Anyone who has CPTSD or PTSD, who has done some of that deep work and healing, um, that aspect of your lived experience, it's unavoidable to start learning about the impacts that the brain and the nervous system have when it comes to stress in life, including that of loss and grief. And very valuable content there, really appreciative of it. Um, 
And this takes me to a comment I wanted to read because I thought it was really valuable and it's an important perspective to talk about on this episode. And Kelly here says, you know, I don't want my voice on the podcast episode, but here I'll write it out. When my mom died, people felt like they had to reach out to me. And while I appreciated that they were thinking of me, it felt like more work for me. At times, it even felt like I was trying to make them feel better. The things I appreciated the most were acts of service that really helped. A meal being sent. A few people sent me DoorDash money. Some friends took my daughter shopping and got her nails done. That was really great. I wanted people to talk about my mom and share stories, but people were afraid to rub salt in the wound. I also appreciated my best friend who lost her mom years before me checking in on me and using humor which is how we both tend to cope with hard things. She was the one I felt really got it. I didn't like all the flowers. There were so many of them and I couldn't wait for them to be dead because it was hard to look at them. Again, I appreciate the sediment, but it got to be too much. So hopefully this helps somebody else who's out there. Um, And I want to go back to what sprung this conversation for me because though I had experienced my own grief and even though I am a certified death doula and even though I work in the realm of death and dying and holding space through readings through mentorship through teaching for people who have experienced way deeper states of grief than even I have experienced um there are still times when I'm at a loss of how to help someone. There are still times where I become paralyzed in what's the right thing to say at this moment, especially when it comes to someone I truly, truly care about. And one of my amazing friends, Ray of Radiant Vibes, recently lost one of her most treasured dogs. And this was a dog that she Um, traveled with she does dog training she does like that fancy agility type dog training and this was one of her prized dogs and they had such a bond and this dog was really a leader of um, the other dogs and though it was anticipatory grief you know and there was a decision to um, you know terminate the life at a timing of their choice which they collaborated together on this decision Um, She actually just ran this two-part workshop series called The Journey in which she talks about this exact decision and going through and navigating the end of a pet family member. And I'm so glad she did that. But when she was, you know, sad and I would reach out to her and I would say, you know, I'm just so proud of you. Like, thank you for sharing this part of your journey. Like, it's so powerful. Um, I remember feeling like still a little bit of loss for words and what is the most helpful thing at this very moment and so that's when I really started that conversation I said you know it would be nice to have some sort of resource to like lean upon and see what people actually found really helpful and beneficial but also understanding that we're terribly nuanced human beings and so what's helpful for one is not going to be helpful for another and I just wanted to get a sense from other people who had experienced grief and what was actually helpful for them and that was very helpful for me in supporting Ray for the next couple weeks and not like she needs a ton of my support but I am one of her closest friends and yeah when it comes to people you care about and you want to see the people you care about happy and joyful um, it could be hard to kind of muster up 
what we're putting in air quotes, the right thing to say and the right thing to do. And so I really appreciated the contributions of the Spirit School community. I'm going to share a few more voice notes here and read out a few more comments and hope that this podcast episode serves as, again, something you could reflect back on if you are ever in a situation where you need to express what you need or don't need when it comes to your grief journey or how you can show up and support those that you care about who are experiencing grief and need a community to hold space for them. So this next love note is from Tamara, who talks about how her friends supported her during her experience with grief. One of the things that people would say to me that was very helpful when I was in my deepest sorrow is they would acknowledge how amazing my loved one was. They would tell me about times they shared with my loved one. And, you know, they would not give me advice. They would not just tell me things would be okay. Also, people who told me that they knew that I was going through a horrible time and that I should do whatever I needed to do, that I should do whatever my sorrow moved me to do. It's also really kind of my friends to drop me off little presents on my on my porch and in my mailbox, they'd often leave me things like cookies and they wouldn't take my time or space. They would just drop it off and go. And then I would find this really, you know, sweet kindness that they had left me. And that just let me know that people were out there thinking of me. That's what helped me. Uh, it was a horrible time and I'm so helpful. I mean, I'm so, um, I'm so grateful for my friends that supported me. Thank you, Tamara. And you're the second person to to mention as part of this episode that one of the helpful things is talking about the recently deceased. And that feels very counterintuitive. And that is something that I imagine and I have experienced. You wonder, is this the best thing? Is this you know, is this the most helpful thing right now is bringing up the recently deceased? And we've had two people already say how helpful that was. And so I'm curious from you and your perspective, what you think about that. And if you think that that is something that is beautiful and helpful, um, and, and maybe we just need to talk about this a bit more. And that's really what death doula work is about it's about normalizing the conversation around death and dying because unfortunately all of our fates are the same this is another thing that connects us all we all birth and we all die we are all returning home one day and so we need to get used to having conversations around this so that when it comes to our time it's not a big shock and we can go back to remembrance that we knew what to do at one time as a civilization, as humanity, as a society and community, we knew how to hold space for one another. We knew how to um, die at home. We knew how to tend to our loved ones in that ultimate phase of their life. And now we glorify youth and we try to stay so young and we do everything to avoid getting old and, you know, having our bodies break down and entering that next phase of our existence. And so this is really important work that we are doing. And by holding some uncomfortable conversations, we're shifting a paradigm of getting away from this glorifying youth and just honoring the cycles of our life as they are intended by our creator. And this final voice note I'm going to add is for Mary Beth, who had a very recent loss. So this one is more about 
a fresh loss. I know when she recorded this, it was probably, I think, within two weeks of her brother passing. She's a Spirit School Collective member, someone who I care about deeply. And she brings through how signs from Spirit brought her comfort. And we have the same sign from our loved ones. So thank you, Mary Beth, for contributing to this conversation. So this topic is very timely for me as I recently lost my brother a few weeks ago. And um, the topic of how we can support each other through grief and what's been impactful to me, not so much has been the words, although quite honestly, when people say I don't have the words, I feel like is almost more prevalent than saying something else that's pretty commonplace or generic when it comes to sending your condolences and just saying, I just, I just don't even have the words, you know, is really impactful, but really more than words, it's been the actions. So someone sending me a text message every couple of days, or maybe once a week to check on me or a phone call, or maybe sending a card in the mail. Um, I have a, a special significance around dragonflies with regards to my brother. And so I've gotten at least three or four items in the mail from a wind chime prism with a dragonfly on it to a tiny little necklace charm with the dragonfly on it, sympathy cards with the dragonfly. So just having that little touch of um, the personal nod to the dragonfly with my brother has been incredibly lovely and makes me feel very seen. And um, so I've just really appreciated more the gestures from my grief so far than any one thing that somebody has said. Thank you, Mary Beth. And I'm so sorry for your loss. I really appreciate you bringing that in, that permission to say, I don't know what to say. I think that that is profound in its simplicity. And I thank you for bringing that into this conversation. Um, so to close up the episode, I'm going to read just a few more comments that took place from people who didn't submit voice notes, but wanted to contribute to the conversation. Caitlin says, I've come to learn that people who are grieving often don't know what they need. So supporting them through acts of service, like offering to take a specific thing off their plate so they can say yes or no to bringing meals or just letting them know you are thinking of them and here for them works so much better than a, let me know if you need anything which I think really echoes what Sarah was saying when she talks about the inability to like process decision-making because of what happens with the amygdala and the frontal cortex. So that's part of our human condition. So I appreciate that so much. Karina says here, less is more, less words. I had to put my childhood cat Zoe down recently and it was rough. I felt alone and in a way I was. My sister was states away and my parents had been waiting for Zoe to pass so they could get new furniture. My partner gave me lots of hugs and let me cry and watch the old cat videos of her with me. I felt so seen and supported. That is beautiful. I'm so happy you have a partner who was able to hold space for you during the time. And I'm sorry that you felt, you know, unsupported by your um, immediate family. I'm sending you so much love. Beth here says, well, words didn't help as much as a long hug and a kind gesture of taking me out to eat, inviting me over for a chat and doing some coloring. I felt comfort not being alone. My husband and I would go to Sunday evening church, then out to eat and sometimes stop at a store to pick up something small that was needed or go out for a drink after dinner. Saturday evenings are still lonely, even seven and a half years later. 
oh, I feel that bath. I feel that bath. I feel that bath. I'm sending you so much love and I'm literally giving you a hug across the vibration of the podcast sphere. Thank you for bringing that in. Paige says, I have been, am going through both right now. For others, I try to give them space and talk about whatever they need at the moment and let them know I see them in their struggles. I had, I have given flowers on anniversary dates saying, I hope that these bring a smile to your face and a beautiful memory of fill in the blank to your heart. I try to remind them that it's okay to have good days and not feel guilty if they are. Also brought someone a beautiful card from Etsy with quotes about grief on them with a stand that they can pick one on the display that they are feeling to remind them that their feelings are valid. Personally, I love the hugs, the stories of those who had passed and the thoughtful little gifts from others. I love all of this and I love that idea of having that grief stand and like normalizing people's feelings and validating people's feelings and I love too that you bring in that it's okay to experience happiness after having such a big loss and a lot of power there, a lot of great messages there as well. Um, Lacey says, I thought about this the other night. I was watching the show and just like that, the Sex and the City revival, and the episode's theme was grief. Anyways, there was a quote somewhere along the lines of, the hole never grows shut or fills in. Life grows around it. This is a reference to the heart during grief. It really struck me, and I use it all the time now. And I love that. And that quote I said earlier was actually from a video I watched of Little Grievers. It was a camp set up for children who had lost um, parents. And that was what one of these girls said. She was so wise. She said, you know, grief is not something you get over, but you make space in your heart for life to continue. And it was just so powerful. Okay. Linda says, my mom passed during the initial phase of COVID and there were so many restrictions on travel and we were very limited to her funeral options. Only X amount of people could be there and had to, the rest had to stay in their car, a very difficult way to honor her memory. I really appreciated the cards and phone calls and texts that were sent that showed a special memory of the person um, with my mom, those stories remain with me and were the best healing gifts. So again, this is like the fourth person to say that as uncomfortable as it may be to share your experience with a person about the person who had passed is one of the most comforting things you can bring to somebody. And I just want to say, Linda, like I feel this because um, that was part of the deepening of my grief with my bender loss was that it was during COVID. I couldn't be with him it was horrible how I handed to hand him over. They had me sit in the parking lot for hours for no reason. It was just all around a horrible experience. It couldn't have been any worse if you had asked me to envision a worse way to let go of a loved one. I experienced what I felt was the worst during the height of the pandemic. And I was very angry about it for a very long time. So I just want you to know I see you. Okay, a couple more here. So this last one is also about a pet. Um, Veronica says, I lost my dear cat, my soul animal, two months ago. It was the deepest grief I ever felt and I am still working through it. What helped me was feeling like I could express at any time and in any way. Because I was able to comfortably express to my friends and family, I didn't hold any emotions or thoughts in. 
This helped my healing tremendously. I spoke my mind even when I felt stupid or embarrassed by saying what I was thinking. I cried anytime my body needed it, even when I felt like I was bringing the mood down. I am so thankful for those around me for allowing me that space to express. And what a beautiful, beautiful comment to end this podcast episode on. And I just want to validate something for you as well. So I learned... My, I got certified as a, as a death doula and end of life doula from the person who has been doing death doula work for decades in Canada, so much to the fact that she actually started the Association for Canadian End of Life Doulas, and she wrote the professional scope of practice for death doula work across Canada. So respected in the field, so seasoned in this work, and I talked to her last month because we're going to collaborate on a uh, class coming up, and... Um, she lost her dog and she said she has never experienced grief like that. Never. And this is someone who's lost some really big players in her life and has seen a lot of clients pass away a lot. And there's something about the loss of a pet that hits a little different. And I don't, I can't compare it to anything else. Okay. All I can say is that the people I talk to have lost a pet, the level of grief is deep. Now I've also talked to people who have lost children and I don't think anything compares to that. I really don't. And this isn't a competition for who has the deepest grief, but if I can use this opportunity for other people who have lost a pet to say, it matters, it hurts, your grief is valid. There is just something about the perfection of an animal. They are literally angels on earth and they bring us so much joy and their love is simple. It's a simple relationship. And if you ask me, it is one of the most reciprocal loves that I have ever experienced in this human experience. And I have children, I've had husbands, <laughs> you know, I, I've been loved and I have loved, but there's something about the unfiltered, uncompromisable love exchange that is between a pet and a pet parent. It's so pure. It's so innocent and it's perfect. And that's the only way I can describe it. And that's my take on it. I don't know if that's actually true, but from somebody who also experienced deep grief because of loss of a pet, and it seems like many of you do too, I hope that that take um, supports you in feeling normal in your grief because it is all terribly normal and terribly abnormal. And I wish that none of us had to experience it. And I wish that professions didn't have to exist around it, but it is one of the more simple and facts of life that we are all coming into this life and we will all eventually exit this life. And that's the one thing that really connects us all and makes us all the same makes us all the same and vulnerable. So one of the things about working in the space of death and dying is it can be one of the most life-affirming fields to be in. I waste no time. I chase every dream. I pursue every inspiration because I know that my time here is limited. I don't know when the creator calls us home. All I know is the creator calls us all home. And when she calls, we answer that call. And we don't get to decide when that timing is. And so ever since I started developing mediumship 10 years ago, I started doing things scared. I started pursuing every passion that came my way and just trying it on for size because I feel like that is one of the things that we are meant to experience while we are here. Going through things that challenge us, that 
make us feel alive, that help us feel accomplished, that make us feel on purpose, that help us feel connected to something greater than ourselves. And my hope is that other people who either hold space for those in grief or who have experienced grief and are here to help others navigate it, experience something very similar that we're not here to waste time. We're here to make the most of this life. We're here to have the greatest experiences, love fiercely, move through pain, learn from pain, teach what we have learned, not gatekeep, support one another, be in this rise to to one another, go back to living in community with one another, forget this like every person for themselves, cutthroat, get yourself to the top. We are meant to thrive in community. We are meant to thrive in community. And my hope is that by holding more conversations around this topic and we normalize this part of our lives, we may start focusing on how we can live our best lives here and now, knowing tomorrow is never promised for any of us. I am sending you so much love on this episode. I hope that it was helpful in nature. I hope that if something came up for you, that you have the resources and community around you to lean on for support. If you want to contribute to this topic or to future topics for the podcast, come join us at Spirit School where we don't keep things light. We go to all sorts of depths, um, but we work on behalf of the world of light. And so I hope that this conversation was a beautiful balance of light and dark and that you learn something from it and that you feel equipped to move forward on the topic of death and dying and grief. I'll see you on the next episode of Spirit School. Did you know that Spirit School is not just a podcast? It's an actual school. If you go to myspiritschool.com, you can invest in self-study courses, live programs, and of course, the Spirit School Collective, my baby, my monthly membership community. All Spirit School offerings are intended to get you feeling clear, confident, and connected to your spiritual path, your development journey, and of course, connected to other spiritual curious souls who are having similar experiences to you. I hope to see you in Spirit School.